Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And that's given to us in the next chapter, in chapter 18, verse 1. And when Jesus had spoken these words, what words? The words of John 17. He went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron, where was a garden into which he entered and his disciples. So crossing over the river, the brook Kedron, was very symbolic. It was symbolic of the continued affirmation of his decision. And from this prayer, he crosses over this little brook, Kedron. He goes into that garden of Gethsemane for his last prayer of agony, where he's under such great pressure that the very blood vessels in his forehead can't take it. And they burst open, and he sweats drops of blood. And then after that, he's captured He goes to the kangaroo, the mock trial. He's abused by the Sanhedrin. He's turned over to the Romans, and then he's crucified. And verse 1 is where we want to focus today, where it starts with these words. These words spake Jesus. Just that phrase. These words spake Jesus. That means that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke those words out loud. He spoke those words out loud. Think about that. He prayed this prayer out loud. He didn't have to pray out loud, but he chose to pray out loud. He could have prayed silently. Verse 1 could have just read, Jesus prayed. It didn't have to say, these words spake Jesus. We would have never known if he didn't say these words, what he said in prayer. But he prayed out loud so that we could, he could be heard. He prayed out loud. He prayed out loud because he wanted to be heard. He wanted his disciples to hear him. Why did he want his disciples to hear him? Because he wanted his disciples to hear him in his most intimate, his most private moment when he reported for his life work to the Father. He wanted his disciples to hear him because he wanted to keep nothing back from his disciples. That's the kind of person he is. He wanted to teach his disciples through this prayer. That's the kind of person he is. He wanted to further reveal everything about himself to his disciples because that's the kind of person he is. And he wanted to be heard in this prayer. He wanted his disciples to hear it so well that they would remember it, that they would write down this prayer so that we today 
could have before us this prayer, that we could learn from this time just before he went to the cross. And just those words are so precious to us. These words spake Jesus, because we see in those words his great love to us. He wanted us to know what he said. He wanted to reveal more of himself in this time. He wanted to reveal more of his great heart of love to God, to us, and his devotion just before he went to the cross for our benefit. And then it says, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. Why was this recorded for our benefit? To show us how much his soul was as extreme. Those words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, express one word that David used in Psalm 88, 9, when he said, mine eye mourneth by reason of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon thee. And then David uses words, I have stretched out my hands to thee. Those words, that word stretched out, stretched out. Here the Lord is taking the cup of our sin. He's tormented with the thought of it. His soul is tormented and he stretches out his soul to God and he lifts up his eyes to heaven. That's behind that. And he says, Father. He didn't pray as he had in the past, our Father. This is not an our Father prayer. This is a personal prayer between him and God. This is the same type of prayer as from the cross when he said, Eli, Eli, my God, my God. This was a prayer between his, his, his father and all the intimacy of their relationship. This is the closest communication between him and the father, and he wants us to hear it. And then he says these words, the hour has come. And when he said these words, the hour has come, it shows how his whole life was lived in the light of this hour. It was always before him. The cross is this hour. And in the light of the cross he lived. When he began his public ministry in Cana of Galilee, and his mother told him about there not being wine, he said in John 2, 4, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Twice, once in John 7, once in John 8, he was... He was in danger of being arrested, and it said in John 7.30, then they sought to take him, but no man laid uh, hands on him because his hour was not yet come. In John 8.20, it says, these words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him for his hour was not yet come. He was always aware of his hour that was coming. Even as a little child, he said in Luke 2.49, he said unto him, How is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? He knew the hour was coming. In John 9.4, he said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. For the night cometh when no man can work. He was referring to the night coming when he wouldn't be able to work anymore because his hour was coming. But now finally, his hour has come. And it was now time for him to go to the cross. And as he looked at the cross before him, he asked the Father for strength to glorify the Father by becoming what it says about him in Philippians 2.8 by becoming obedient unto death, 
even the death of the cross. He asked for strength to become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And now was the time for him to become the sin offering. Now, to see this, I want you to ask, turn to two places. Uh, one is Leviticus 9. If you please turn to Leviticus 9, verse 7. And with your finger in that place, also turn to Isaiah 53 to see what this all meant for him, to see what he was about to become. In Leviticus 9, 7 through 9, we have the description here of Moses instructing his brother Aaron to, to offer the sin offering. That's Leviticus 9, 7 through 9. So if you find that place, and then also find the place of Isaiah 53, we're looking back and forth. And I'll start by reading Leviticus 9, 7 through 9. Follow along, please. And Moses said unto Aaron, Go unto the altar and offer the sin offering and thy burnt offering and make an atonement for thyself and for the people and offer the offering of the people and make an atonement for them as the Lord commanded. Aaron therefore went unto the altar and slew the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. And the sons of Aaron brought the blood unto him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the bottom of the altar. So in Leviticus 9, we see Moses telling Aaron, go get the calf that will become the sin offering. That calf was a was just a healthy, normal calf, but also an unusual calf because it was without blemish. And one day, that calf was chosen out of the herd to become the sin offering. It was not the sin offering when it was in the herd. It was chosen to become, at the altar, the sin offering where it was slain. And so the Lord Jesus Christ was just a healthy Jewish man, but a most unusual Jewish man, the only Jewish man who never sinned. For that matter, the only man who never sinned. The fact that he had never sinned is, if you look in Isaiah 53, 9, describes him as we've already alluded to, where it says, he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. He was just a Jewish man in the prime of his life, but he had agreed to become, and he had therefore became the sin offering. Notice how, notice how it says in verse 7 in Leviticus 9 that Aaron was told to go unto the altar. Go unto the altar and offer thy sin offering. He was not to offer it any place, but he was to offer it at the altar. We've already seen before how the Hebrew word for the word altar, mitzbeach, literally means the place of slaughter. It means the place where the victims were killed. So Moses told Aaron to take the sin offering and go to the place of slaughter. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ was taken to Calvary, taken to a a small mountain within sight 
of Jerusalem called Calvary, the place of a skull. Calvary is not a Hebrew word, it's a Latin word, and it's, it's, that's where the slaughter took place of people. As the sinner offering was taken to an altar or a place of slaughter to be killed, so the Lord Jesus Christ was taken to an altar or a place of slaughter to be killed. It says, check in, as you look now please, in Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened his mouth He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. Aaron brought the calf for a sin offering. He knew, the Lord Jesus Christ knew that he would be brought, just as Aaron brought that calf to the the altar, that he would be brought to the place of slaughter. He would be brought to Calvary. Calvary is a hill that can be seen from Jerusalem. The Romans chose that purposefully, because it was a place where they could effect a public execution to strike fear in the hearts of anyone who would see. We can imagine what that would mean as the Romans hoisted up their victims to die to say to them, don't you dare think of disobeying Rome. And the victims on their crosses would be hoisted up, dropped into that hole so that all Jerusalem, all they had to do was just merely look up and see that Mount Calvary and see those poor dying victims on their crosses. The Romans gave it the name Calvary. It's not a Hebrew name. It's Latin. It's Calvaris, like the head, the, head, the skull. And even today, the outcropping of the rock formation on that hill, you can still see the the, uh, why it's called this place of a skull. And he, the Lord Jesus Christ, knew that would be the place of his death. So that when he looked, and when he was in Jerusalem, and, and teaching the people, all he had to do was look up and see that place. All he had to do was just look up and see Mount Calvary. And he thought to himself, some people call it just an unfortunate hill to end up on. Some people call it the place where the Romans kill their victims, but I call it the altar of God. Mount Calvary for me, he would think, is the altar of God, where just as Aaron brought that calf to the altar, I will be brought there too. And just as that calf became the sin offering, I'll become the sin offering. And maybe when he was in Jerusalem and had the occasion to look up there at Calvary and see some victim, some enemy of Rome being tortured to death, dying on his cross, or maybe there were times when he was in Jerusalem and he just looked up to Mount Calvary and there were no crosses up there. And either case, he would have looked up to Mount Calvary and he thought to himself, there it is. There's the place for my slaughter. There's the place of the altar. That's the altar of God. I'll be brought as a lamb to that place of slaughter. I'll be sacrificed on that place, Mount Calvary. And when I do, I will do a good job. I will make an atonement to take away sins. And so he looked as he looked can only imagine what this was like for him as he was in Jerusalem. He looked at Mount Calvary and he might have thought, look, the words at Isaiah 53, 5. He might have thought these words of Isaiah 53, 5 as he looked at Calvary and he remembers these words of Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and with his stripes we were healed. So as he looked up on Mount Calvary, he would think to himself, that's the place, that's the altar. I will be taken. I will be wounded there. I will be bruised there. I will be beaten there. I will be punished for sins I did not do. 
I will be punished for sins that my people have committed. And then notice how in verse in Leviticus 9, 7, it states the purpose for killing the calf. The calf was killed, these words, to make an atonement for sin. So the Lord Jesus Christ knew that as he approached the cross and his death, there was a purpose to it. He said, the things concerning me have an end. There was a purpose to it. And his purpose was to make an atonement for sin. So look at Isaiah 53, 8. It sees, and he would look at Mount Calvary and he would think to himself, he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. There's the purpose. Why was he killed? Those words, for the, for the, as the lamb was killed, for the purpose of making an atonement. So he thought about his death, and he thought that the purpose of his death will be, I will be there for the transgression of my people. And we can imagine him repeating that phrase, for the transgression of my people. And then he would look at his people. He would look at his disciples at that point and repeat the phrase, they don't understand but I am going to be killed for their transgression, for the transgression of my people. And he would think, unless I go through this death, these people, my friends, that I have been totally open with, they cannot go to heaven. And he would reaffirm his decision to go through with his death. And we see at the end of of, uh, Leviticus 9-7 these words, as the Lord commanded. So when Moses was telling Aaron what to do, he would say, do this, and this is as the Lord commanded. So this was, in other words, Moses was saying to Aaron, this is God's prescription for sin. This is what God has prescribed to save man from his sins. This is God's way to a way of a blood sacrifice that by killing this calf as the sin offering, they were offering the Lord's sacrifice. That's why it's also called in Exodus 12, the Lord's Passover. And so just as the Lord Jesus Christ thought about his death, he he knew that his death was a work that he was called to do. He knew that soon he would look at the band of men who would arrest him. He would look at Judas who identified him with a kiss. He would look at that unjust trial at the Sanhedrin. He would look at being delivered to the Romans. He would look at the crowd that was incited by the Jewish leaders to say, crucify him, crucify him. He would look at Pilate's cruelty face-to-face against him. He would look at Herod's cruelty face-to-face against him. He would face Herod's soldiers. He would face the stripping. He would face the scourging. He would face the carrying of the cross. He would face his own crucifixion, his dehydration, and eventual giving his spirit back to God. He saw it all so clearly, and as he just processed all of it in his mind, he fought off every temptation to see it as just the cruelty of man. He corralled his feelings from running away into a fear and a terror and a panic, and he channeled his thoughts so much so that blood vessels broke in his forehead. He channeled his thoughts in his prayer to see that what was going to happen to him was the same thing that the words of Moses said to Aaron in Leviticus 9-7 when he said, as the Lord commanded, 
as the Lord commanded. And he would think about all that's going to happen to himself. And he would say, as the Lord commanded. When fear and terror just blew on his soul, he found shelter in repeating the words of Isaiah 53.10. You can see Isaiah 53.10 where it says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And then in Leviticus 9.8 it says, Aaron therefore went unto the altar and slew the calf of the sin offering. Aaron brought that calf to the altar. Aaron shed that blood of that calf at the altar. And then Aaron stretched out that, that calf on the horns of the altar. And when Aaron stretched out that calf and secured it to the altar, that calf was in plain view. In plain view, so everyone could see that that calf was being made a sin offering. And as the Lord Jesus Christ thought about his own death and the death of his friend, John the Baptist, and drew the, drew the, 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 uh, the, uh, <clears throat> drew the difference between them, he thought, I'm not, I'm not going to be in some lone, secluded, private dungeon and the cold blade of an executioner on my neck. That's not how it's going to be. He thought of himself as a sin offering and how he would be stretched out on that altar. He knew he'd be stretched out on a cross in plain view for all to see, for all to know that he was the sin offering. And then notice the last words of Leviticus 9.9, where it says, and poured out the blood It's the blood of the calf at the bottom of the altar. So Moses told Aaron to pour out the blood that the calf of the calf at the bottom of the altar. And 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 we can just see Aaron doing that. We can just see him taking and collecting the blood from the calf, the sin offering, and carefully pouring it out at the bottom of the altar. And as the sin offering was taken and stretched out on the altar in plain view, the Lord Jesus Christ became our sin offering in plain view, all on the cross where he poured out his soul. Notice in verse 12 of um, Isaiah 53, he hath poured out his soul unto death. And as he thought about that, and he thought about the blood of the sin offering from Leviticus 9 that was poured out, he would think of the words, these words in Isaiah 53, 12, he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he thought that as the blood of the sin offering that Aaron slew was poured out, soon he would pour out his soul unto death. And you see where it says there in Leviticus 9.9, the place where the blood of the sin offering was poured out was at the bottom of the altar, at the bottom of the altar. And as he remembered that the blood of the sin offering that Aaron had poured out was poured out at the bottom of the altar, he thought of his own blood. And he thought of his blood flowing from the nails in his hands and his feet and the thorns in his head. And as he traced in his mind where his blood would fall, he knew it would fall at the bottom of his cross, at the bottom of the altar on Mount Calvary. And as he thought all that through and he was about to, what was about to happen to him, and he was about to become the sin offering, he said to himself, I accept becoming the sin offering. I receive the title of being the sin offering. I embrace becoming the sin offering because I will become, in that time, in that hour, the ultimate expression 
of God's love to sinners. By becoming the sin offering, I will be what they called me in Matthew eleven nineteen, a friend of publicans and sinners. Hallelujah. What a friend of sinners. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, And you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back. So join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. 